0: Tonight's teaching is titled, Whose Side Are You On? Whose Side Are You On? So we'll pray, and then we'll pick up in Joshua 13, and we'll jump around looking at different verses from chapters 13 through 19. Lord, again, we just thank you that your word does not come back void. God, that nothing is there in vain. Um, So Jesus, I pray that you would just be speaking to us, Lord, those things that you've highlighted on my heart, Lord, to share tonight, God, and things that I'm sure you spoke to um, these, your daughters, through the groups and through their time of study, Lord. I just pray that we would be diligent to follow after you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's in your name that we pray, amen, amen. So again, the title of tonight's teaching is Whose Side Are You On? Recently, I was talking with a friend about the unique personality of a middle child, of which I am one. So before you have any jokes, right, just know that I am one of those middle uh, children. Some stereotypes include being aloof or disinterested in everyone else, and we were laughing because in many ways, my being the only girl in my family offset some of my middle childness, so to speak. But there is one thing okay, that's definitely inherent to my being a middle kid, and that is an absolute commitment to fairness. Things have to be fair. If we're taking turns on who gets to sit in the front seat, don't you worry. I I know, I know, I'm keeping track. I know who sat there last time and the time before that and how long the car ride was for each said time. Um, if it's who's stuck in the middle seat, right, for a certain period of time, again, I'm keeping track. I have my tally points. If it's who gets to pick the cereal this week, I also know who's gotten to pick the cereal each time we've gone into the grocery stores. And why your turn doesn't really count if you didn't endure the grocery store trip with mom and dad. So you, your turn doesn't count. I'm sorry. You didn't come to the grocery store. It's just, that's just justice. Um, And there is no greater test for the middle child than the split-pick decision, right? I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. If you have siblings, it's when there's that one last piece of cake and everyone wants it. So mom and dad say, okay, someone's got to split it, and then someone else will get to pick first, right? And then the the person who splits ends up picking last, right? So I have past geometry (laughs) as a very young child to be able to divide things into equal thirds. It's, I don't want to brag, but it's almost like a hidden superpower that I have. Um, Even to this day, my boys will ask me, but mama, you just split it so much better than us. Can you please divide it for us? Um, And as we were looking at these chapters, where the dust of battle has settled and they get into the nitty gritty of dividing the land, I noticed this idea of like split pick, right? How it reveals God's heart for his people, his heart for justice. And at the same time, we're gonna see the heart of God's people in response to the portion that they get. So we are gonna look at three different kinds of hearts as we look at the ways that the land was distributed, how each person was allotted, each tribe was allotted. And I'm gonna borrow this joke from Sandy Adams. We have a lot of ground to cover tonight, so buckle your spiritual seatbelts, if you will. Starting there in Joshua 13, we see the first of the three distinct hearts is the distant heart. The distant heart. And that's represented by the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. We see there that in verse 8 of chapter 13, they received their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them. Uh, Jumping down to verse 15, we see it again, that that was the inheritance of Reuben, given to them by Moses. Um, In verse 23, we see that these are the boundaries, these are the borders from the bank of the Jordan and all these other named cities. This was their inheritance, which they had asked for from Moses, and he gave it to Gad, he gave it to Reuben, and he gave it to half of the tribe of Manasseh. And verse 27b kind of sums it up for us. It says, with the Jordan as its borders, as far as the edge of the Sea of Chinnereth, which is the Sea of Galilee. That's the word for harp in Hebrew. And if you have like an aerial view, which we can go to the map now so we can see um, all the verses that we won't be reading thoroughly, but that we will still get to look at tonight. It's kind of up there in in the top by Naphtali. It's kind of like a heart-shaped little lake there. So that's that sea. And we can just kind of leave that up there just so we can kind of be situated in our verses today. So verse 28, this is the inheritance of the children of Gad according to their families, their cities, and villages. Moses had also given an inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was for the half-tribe of the children, according to their family. So again, the whole point is all of these individuals, these families, these two and a half tribes decided to have distant hearts. They were on the other side of the Jordan. So again, the key idea for this section is that they were on the opposite side. The opposite side. This distant heart is marked by being on the opposite side of the Jordan. And I got to think that some of us here tonight, we have certain areas in our lives where we find ourselves on the opposite side of the promised land. We're close enough that maybe we could see it. Perhaps we've even fought with our fellow sisters in Christ in prayer for them to be able to receive the fullness of the promise that God has for them. But we ourselves have not experienced this spirit-filled life in certain areas. We've come short. There's a comfort that we've decided means more to us than our love for the Lord. And it's just something that we have to be careful of, that our hearts do not become distant because we're too uncomfortable to step across into what God has called us to Um, this idea of opposite side or other side comes up in a parable that Jesus teaches later in the New Testament, which is found in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to zoom in on uh, verses 31 through 32 because there's two individuals who went to this opposite side. Again, that reference is Luke 10, 31 through 32. In this parable of the certain Samaritan, we're told that both a priest and and a Levite crossed over to the other side of the road. Rather than stepping into the ministry that Christ had placed in front of them, whether it was out of fear or out of worship for their own convenience, they decided to have distant hearts and walk on the opposite side. One pastor put it this way. We learn later The decision to settle outside the promised land ended up fatal. According to 1 Chronicles chapter 5, these two and a half tribes fall victim to idolatry. They were the first to be taken captive by the Assyrians. Apparently, the Jordan was a needed wall of protection, both militarily and spiritually, that these two and a half tribes decided to neglect. Guys, when we settle for second best, rather than to go on with God into all he has for us, we make ourselves more vulnerable to danger and temptation. We get right to the brink of blessing. And then because it seems hard or it requires more faith, we pull up short. Don't do it. Press on. Enter into all God's goodness. Notice the contrast that this chapter ends with, right? In verses 32 and 33 they read of Joshua 13. These are the areas with which Moses had distributed as an inheritance to in the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. In verse 33, but to the tribe of Levi Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he has said to them. So verse 33 brings us to the next group of hearts, right? The next distinct heart. And there we see devoted hearts. So first we had distant hearts, and now we're going to see that there were some who had devoted hearts. And this is represented to us by Caleb and the Levites. Caleb and the Levites serve as that example of a devoted heart. Chapter 14 is so sweet. Um, so we'll we'll dig a little deeper into this one. We'll pick up in verse 4. It says, "For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land, except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property, as the Lord commanded Moses. So the children of Israel did." And they divided the land. And then we see that uh, the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgad. And there Caleb comes up. And he says, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. Um, In one of the commentaries I saw that that word spy just meant tourist. Like, these spies were just said to, like, go and enjoy the place, which I thought was interesting that so many of them came back with such a negative report when all they had to do was tour the land. Um, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I holy. Followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said these forty five years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Verse 12, now therefore give me this mountain of which the lord has spoken in that day for you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified it may be that the lord will be with me and i shall be able to drive them out as the lord said and joshua blessed him and gave him hebron to caleb the son of Jephnath as an inheritance Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb to this day because, and there it is again, he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And it tells us that what Hebron used to be called and how the land rested from war. And I love this picture of the Levites enjoying God's presence as their inheritance and of Caleb asking the Lord, you promised me this. And even though it's been 45 years since that promise, I'm ready to embrace it now. I have the strength to do it now. Doesn't it just like give you that sense of being able to tackle any mountain that the Lord has promised you, no matter how long ago it was? When was the last time you asked the Lord for something? Right? And when was the last time the Lord asked something from you and you said yes? You see, the key point in this uh, heart is to side with the Lord, right? That's how we have a devoted heart. We decide to side with the Lord. In Exodus 32, we see why the tribe of Levi had this devoted heart. From verses 26 through 28, Moses gives this question, who is on the Lord's side, Who is on the Lord's side? And I have to believe that if you're here on a weeknight, or maybe you're listening to the sound of my voice on a podcast or Christian radio, it's because the Lord is asking you if you are on his side. My prayer is that we would wholeheartedly say yes, as Caleb did, as the Levites did. There's a side note that um, comes up in this chapter as well. I don't know how many of you noticed it as we were going through, but I thought it was so beautiful that the daughter of Caleb is mentioned, right? That she had the boldness to come up to her dad and ask for more. Uh, We also see the the daughters of Zelophehad in chapter 17. And I thought it was just so beautiful that the Lord specifically mentions ladies by name in these scriptures. Why? Because they... And truly no other woman had any business being present, much less named in transactions of land, right? Um, in some cultures, probably specifically the ones that they were instructed to drive out, land was actually of more value than even these women's lives. But you know what? God is not constrained by cultural standards. He's not his heart for woman is seen throughout the Old and New Testaments. My dear sisters, do not limit your view of God, of yourself, to our culture's incorrect views. Our culture has some really messed up views, right? This whole feminist movement tries to say that a woman can do every, anything a man can do. But isn't that kind of hypocrisy to say that my worth is based on how much I am like a man? if women were valuable that that should be enough like why does a woman's value have to be in that she can do anything a man can do i don't like it just it doesn't make sense so don't succumb to our cultural standards have your identity in the lord don't be fooled by the lies he cares for us search the scriptures for your identity come to the lord as the daughter of caleb did asking for springs of living water. I'm reminded of another woman in Scripture that was also offered springs of living water. In John chapter 4, uh, we read about the Samaritan woman. And just yesterday, I came across this devotional from um, Oswald Chambers in his book My Utmost for His Highest it's um a collection really of different things if you ever want to be convicted if it's like been like a minute since you've been convicted i highly recommend this devotional, my utmost for his highest if ever you think like wow spiritually i'm doing so well like i really got this figured out just Click online; it's free, right? As all good conviction is, it's usually free. You just type in online, and my atmosphere is highest, and you'll have your daily dose of conviction for the day. So here it is. I'm sharing it with you because that's you know sharing is caring. <laughs> the impoverished ministry of Jesus. From whence then hast thou that living water? John four eleven. The well is deep, and a great deal deeper than the Samaritan woman knew. Think of the depths of human nature, of human life. Think of the depths of the wells in you. Have you been impoverishing the ministry of Jesus so that he cannot do anything? Suppose there is a well of fathomless trouble inside your heart, and Jesus comes and says, let not your heart be troubled. And you shrug your shoulders and say, but Lord, the well is deep. You cannot draw up quietness and comfort out of it. No, he will bring them down from above. Jesus does not bring up anything from the wells of human nature. We limit the Holy One of Israel by saying, Of course, I cannot expect God to do this thing. The thing that taxes almightiness is the very thing which we, as disciples of Jesus, ought to believe. He will do. We impoverish his ministry the moment we forget he is almighty. The impoverishment is in us, not in him. We will come to Jesus as comforter or as sympathizer, but we will not come to him as almighty. The reason some of us are such poor specimens of Christianity is because we have no almighty Christ. We have Christian attributes When experiences, but there is no abandonment to Jesus Christ. When we get into difficult circumstances, we impoverish his ministry by saying, of course, he cannot do anything. And we struggle down to the deeps and try to get the water for ourselves. Beware of the satisfaction of sinking back and saying, it cannot be done. You know it can be done if you look to Jesus the well of your incompleteness is deep but make the effort and look to him and ladies we need to do that we need to look to the Lord as a matter of fact the way chapter 15 ends with verse 63 reveals the condition of the third and final heart that we will look at tonight Chapter 15, verse 63 says, As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. And I so appreciated that question, kind of tying in all these points as you read through, like, oh, this boundary and this city and here's this tribe. And it's such a repeated thing. Right, that they did not drive them out. We saw that in chapter 13, verse 13. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Gerashites or the Machites, but the Gerashites and the Machites dwell among Israel until this day. we see it again where we just read in chapter 15 verse 63 and then again in 1610 they did not drive out the Canaanites but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites till this day and have become forced laborers jumping over to Chapter 17, verse 12, Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. In verse 13, And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. These chapters, right, from chapter 15, verse 20, till 1948, represent the majority of the tribes. So I wonder if they represent the majority of humanity, right? The majority of my heart's tendency to be a divided heart. This last heart is the divided heart. They were divided because they refused to drive out. They refused to drive out those sins completely. And what they refused to drive out later had dominion over them. They were divided because they refused to drive out. And what they refused to drive out later had dominion over them. Um, The very next book in scripture, Judges, will mention each of these people groups again. But this time they're the ones forcing the Israelites to be their laborers. They're the ones oppressing them. And that is true for us today spiritually. All these little tribes, all these people that they thought, oh, don't have to drive them out completely. I mean, look how convenient it is. They'll cut the wood for us. They'll bring the water. Remember, this is desert, right? So they had to bring water from far away. We'll, we'll put them to good use. Don't worry. They're, they're not mastering over us. We'll be masters over them. I've got it under control. And sure enough, not even a hundred years later, These same individuals that they refused to drive out became their oppressors. Joshua 17 reveals an interesting aspect of the human heart. Um, These tribes come to Joshua and they say, we need more land, we need more land. So one of the things I noticed about the human heart, especially the divided heart, is that it would rather compromise then commit to contentment. Right? There's that tendency in that divided heart like I'm just going to I'm just going to compromise. I don't I don't need to be committed to to contentment when I could instead compromise. And I also noticed that we would rather complain than conquer. Our divided hearts would rather complain than conquer. We would rather compromise than be content. Um, I love the wisdom and um, somewhat sass that the Lord gave Joshua (laughs) in responding to these tribes, right? They're like, we're too big. We're such a big group. We don't have enough land. And he's like, you're right. You are big. Get it together. Put on on your big boy pants and go get those mountains. Um, And I wonder how often the Lord needs to speak to us that way. Like, you're right. It is a lot. So let's go. Let's start working hard for these things that I'm calling you to So what is the key point for the divided heart? Don't err on the safe side. Don't err on the safe side. I think of Joshua chapter 18. I uh, went on to Blue Letter Bible, and I just typed in that word other side, right? Because we saw that with the two and a half tribes that they were on the other side. Um, We saw these individuals with a distant heart, and okay, which... The Levites were on the Lord's side, but what about the rest of the tribes? And again, just this idea of side kept popping up as we looked at these chapters. And in John 18, looking at verse 1, it reads, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron. And that word over is that same word, other side, the one that we saw in the parable of the certain Samaritan. And when Jesus and his disciples crossed over the brook Kidron, there was there a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And we see that Judas knew about this place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. And Judas, who betrayed him, uh, received a detachment of troops and of officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, and they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus, verse 4, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? In verse 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. I think this is such a, a deep picture of not having a divided heart. Instead of, on, instead of staying on the safe side, we're called to go deeper into Christ's presence. Yes, there might be persecutions awaiting us, There most certainly awaits the crucifixion of our flesh. But how else can we possess our inheritance? If our hearts are crying out to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of us, then we must go deeper. We can't settle. I think of his presence there in the garden and how it says that he often met there with with his disciples. Do you have a place where you often meet with Jesus? If you do, he'll point out those areas of your heart that are divided, and he will deal with you in his presence in such a loving, freeing way. The idea of his presence, oftentimes in the Old Testament, was represented by the tabernacle. And a quick search term again on Blue Letter Bible for other side showed so many results describing that tabernacle don't err on the safe side. You'll miss out on his presence. Go deeper, follow him into the garden. Our pride will be arrested and we'll find our life by losing it there. So we now come to our conclusion. I think of what we were mentioning earlier with the whole split pick decision-making process and a divide-and-conquer approach, if you will, to the land that God has promised his children. For most of us tonight, I don't think the Lord is necessarily promising us like a physical parcel of land, although he most certainly could, right? And if that's the application for you today, amen. Um, But I think, right, our greatest and most common application of Joshua chapters 13 through 19 is the promise of our spiritual inheritance, Are we settling for less because we refuse to fully occupy the joy, the rest, the victory over temptation and sin, the freedom from guilt and shame, the power of forgiving others, and walking in repentance, which have been promised to us? We looked at the three possible conditions of our hearts regarding these different spiritual blessings. Now, what is God's response? How does his heart respond to each of these type of hearts? To the distant heart, he says, cross over. You see, in Matthew 6, verses 45 through 52, this was the command he gave his disciples. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And ladies, that is what he's telling you. If your heart has become distant, if you're settling just on the brink of blessing but haven't fully entered in, Jesus beckons you, cross over. Come to the other side of that riverbank. To the devoted heart, he encourages, continue in communion. Continue in communion. That mountain that Caleb conquers is renamed Hebron. Which means communion. No wonder he wanted to settle there. No wonder that was his heart's desire. Luke 18:1, Jesus tells us he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4:1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians, also in chapter 4, but this time verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Galatians 6, 9, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. In 2 Thessalonians three thirteen. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. That idea of do not grow weary is that same word. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Right? Because that could be the tendency. Sometimes our hearts are devoted and we're doing things according to God's ways. We're in our devils. We're coming Wednesday. We're coming Sunday. We're serving. And it could be easy to lose heart. Don't, don't. Continue climbing that mountain of communion. The Lord will be your strength. To the divided heart, he instructs, consecrate your all to him. Consecrate your all to him. He calls us to be holy as he is holy. And I love, um, just in the English language, that idea of Caleb holy, following the Lord, with the W-H-O-L-L-Y, and that idea of being holy, H-O-L-Y. L Y. First Peter 1:13 through 16 tell us, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, Ladies, careful with our thoughts be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct not in some Not in the areas that don't have the Canaanites, right? In all your conduct. Why? Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 also tell us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed again the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God and here we kind of come to the end of our seven chapters this section in chapter 13 began with the Lord addressing Joshua's age and his continued mission and now look at how this section ends it comes full circle Um, Joshua, Eliezer, the heads of the tribes, distributed the land. The children of Israel had their portions given to them. Some received it right away. Others resisted, delaying to take hold of their inheritance. Others refused to be grateful and resorted to complaining and whining. But there was something so beautiful that captured my heart. In Joshua chapter 19, verses 49 through 51, it says in verse 49, when they had made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders. Notice this, that the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked for, Timnath Seroth in the mountains of Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt in it. These were the inheritances which Eliezer the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided as an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end of dividing the country. Oh, the humility of Joshua. He was their leader. He was their general. They would have never even stepped foot into the promised land if it hadn't been for his faith, his obedience, his willingness to pursue victory, which the Lord promised. And yet here we see the secret to his amazing leadership, a heart of humility. He had every right to any part of the land. Yet he humbles himself to ask. And to ask according to the word of the Lord, as verse 50 tells us. Oh, that we had more leaders like this in our churches, in our government buildings, in our workplaces. But ladies, we can be those kind of leaders who have this humility about them. I love that idea, right, that here Joshua and all the leaders are, are distributing the land and giving their inheritance, and Joshua comes and says, guys, are you okay if I take this portion? And just the beauty of the children of Israel saying, of course, here. And all of this being done in Shiloh, as our study reminded us, right? I loved that question towards the end that it was before the presence of the Lord. And again, that has to be the truest mark of our life, that we spend time in the presence of the Lord. We have to humble ourselves. We have to come before him, asking him to correct us, to change us, to reveal to us those parts that are divided, those parts that are distant, those parts that are devoted and need to continue in communion. How do we cross over? How do we continue? How do we consecrate our all to him? It happens through humility. We need to come to that place where we realize we don't deserve anything. We don't deserve the smallest of his blessings. And yet he purchased them all with his blood on the cross. Let us humble ourselves and take hold of all that God has for us. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the example of humility in Joshua and just what a representative he is of our Redeemer, Jesus, Lord, and the humility you expressed for all of us on the cross, Lord. We love you. We need you. God bless each and every one of us listening tonight, Lord, that you would search our hearts and show us areas that we are divided, areas that we are distant, God. Areas that need more devotion to you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.